All right, for those of us who are new, we'll get started here. This is, uh, hey, John Gray, flip that door closed back there. We are. Let's get one of those guys in here. All right, whatever. All right, uh, so we'll start over here, Ken. So we uh, are doing a series called Employing God's Gifts. And one of our themes is that each person has received various kinds of gifts. There's a lot of confusion about what that even means because there's different categories of gifts and classifications of gifts. So we spent uh, the first couple weeks clarifying that. And the goal is that we would employ the gifts in serving. The greatest thing you can ever become in the kingdom of God is a servant. And uh, so you want to uh, take the multifaceted gifts of God and employ them in serving one another. So uh, we, we noticed that there were three kinds of gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And they each correspond to a different member of the Trinity. There are seven gifts of motivation or temperament, which correspond to God the Father, although, of course, the whole Trinity as well. Um, but in, in God's creatorial nature, he creates us with these gifts inside of us. Uh, you actually have these motivational gifts in seed form uh, before he ever calls you to Christ. Whereas uh, the, there's also seven gifts of service that come from our Lord Jesus that begin to grow in you after you're converted to the Lord. And there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, which grow in you after you are converted to the Lord and are normally greatly increased upon being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So uh, last week we began to look at the motivational gifts or the gifts of temperament. And we read Romans 12, 3 through 8. That, which I'm going to reread again, that says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but, but to think so as to have sound or sober judgment. Each, each of the words in brackets is from the ESV, uh, whereas the rest of the translation is from the NASB. Uh, to think it, so to think is to have sound judgment as God has allotted or assigned to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each is to exercise or use them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives or contributes with liberality or generosity, and he who leads with diligence or zeal, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, um, we went over some preliminary considerations. They're listed on your page. I, I are, I'm going to skip most of them, except all of these are, um, I want to emphasize that all of these are various aspects of Christ, and they are one among several sources of our difficulty in getting along, both in the church and in, the, in our families, 
because at times one member of the family will will be uh, strongly motivated in one of these and another will be strongly motivated in the other. And uh, what tends to happen is most people, at least until they go through enough of what I call the school of failure, until God breaks them and, and helps them learn humility as a way of life and leaning on God rather than your own understanding, uh, living out of his strength, living out of the resurrection of Christ, not out of your wits and your giftedness and so forth. Most people have a tendency to think of their gifts as being the most important, even their gifts to be foundational. And they're not necessarily so. And one of the most important lessons you can learn in life is that every giftedness has a dark side. And if that dark side is not kept in check by the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ, and if you don't go through a process of sanctification and a process of breaking and learning to yield to him and so forth, that your giftedness will seduce you and destroy you. In fact, some of the people that we see that are in jail or living on the streets or uh, we think of, oh, my God, what a rough life or something, a lot of times it's their, it was their very giftedness that broke, that, that, that caused them uh, to make major mistakes in, in, in life situations, in, in lifestyle mistakes, uh, uh, breakdown of their support system or relationships and, and find themselves all alone. And uh, so it's very important. What I'm going to hope, hope to do by the end of today is really talk a little bit about the dark side of some of the giftedness and uh, make sure that we, uh, that we, uh, that we understand this stuff. Hey. So, all right, so um, hope uh, Jordan, make sure he gets a tape right after, or a CD right after church, okay? All right, now, don't forget, uh, we mentioned also that these gifts come in infinite combinations. Any kind of psychology that says there's four basic personality types, there was one very popular in the uh, 70s, especially in education classes that said there were 88 personality types. But you know what? Even that's too simple. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, there's more than 88 personality types. So, um, sorry, lose my place. So I think I'm going to just, you know, since we last week kind of uh, 
it was a little discombobulated and so forth. Um, I'm going to just go through all seven again. Uh, I spent less time introducing it today. So, um, uh, it, it, we're just going to take them in the uh, in the order that they appear in in Romans twelve six seven and eight, and uh, we'll go right right through them. Prophecy: uh, a prophet is a person concerned for God's glory or reputation by an accurate accurate corporate representation. Uh, prophets uh, tend to be motivated to call groups. Uh, they're, they're like a life coach, you know, one more rep. They want to call you to a higher standard. Um, they're never satisfied. They like to expose and eradicate sin. Uh, they tend to hate sin, but they don't want to define it in a shallow matter. You know, today it's very common in Bible-believing churches to define sin as smoking and drinking and things that you might say are the leaves of the tree of sin, but are certainly not the root issues of pride, self-righteousness, laziness, uh, selfish ambition, etc. So, um, uh, prophets are, are not tolerant of moral, uh, of partial good. They're willing to embrace the difficulties and go through brokenness. That's very important. God, uh, because the reason that's important, because um, I want to kind of focus a little bit on the dark sides and the dangers of the dark sides. People with a prophetic motivation who want to see the church be all it can be or have some passion to see, I want to see God's people moving in power. Or I want to see God's people working in righteousness. Or I want to see God's people learn how to... to uh, to understand vocational callings in such a way that they have great work ethic and great vocational plans and God raises them up in their various fields of endeavor and they're financially prosperous and, and this kind of thing and, and therefore influential for Christ uh, and that kind of thing. But if a prophet, prophetic kind of person doesn't allow God to break them and other people to break them, and if they don't hold themselves into a, put themselves in situations where they're surrounded by good people who have enough guts to hold them in check, you know, they, you, you can't have rubber stamp uh, yes men around you. You have to have people who love you enough to get in your face. If, if, if that doesn't happen for a prophet, all those things don't happen for a prophet, they will tend to get, they will become harsh, critical, and very, in, uh, very, I'm right about this and that to, to the point of nitpickiness. Um, is the motivation to demonstrate love by meeting practical needs? They're always doing something practical. A good servant has the ability to recall your likes and dislikes. And they're very detailed in their service. They like to bring service to a level of excellence. They don't just bring you over... You know, there's a thing all the churches I've ever been associated with do when a lady in the church has a baby. Uh, the other ladies will bring them over dishes of, you know, dinners and dishes of this and that and so forth. So they don't have to cook for a week or two. And uh, when they get home from the hospital, which is always a blessing. 
And, uh, but they not only bring you over your favorite lasagna, uh, but they make it the way you like it. And uh, they remember how you liked it from the last time they had lasagna with you. So uh, service people can tend to have short-range goals. Uh, they can tend to be perfectionists. Uh, sometimes service people won't let others do stuff. If anybody's ever raised kids, one of the things you know when I, I always forget the exact ages of developmental things, and my wife always has to say, no, it was when they were six they started doing this, and when they were eight they did this. But six, eight, whenever it is that you start having them empty the waste baskets and take the trash out and you begin to have your first talks about, I'll know that you're uh, mature and... and uh, reliable person when I don't have to remind you that Wednesday night is trash night ever again and those kind of talks and uh, 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 service people tend to want want to forego that and do it themselves because when you're teaching someone how to do stuff it's always easier to do it yourself at first right first time someone mows the lawn basically after they mow the lawn, you have to have a talk with them about how to mow the lawn, and then you mow it again. <laughs> right? So um, uh, service people will tend to use their personal funds to serve, and that can be a dark side or a dangerous thing uh, because sometimes they don't have proper savings and investments and, and that kind of stuff because they're always buying something. Um, they can detect sincere and insincere appreciation. And some people, depending on the nature of the church, uh, will see them as trying to advance their own cause. Um, you know, in, in uh, some churches, there's actually this concept called an armor bearer, where after you've done the parking lot detail for three or four years, then you get to carry the pastor's briefcase or something like this. And I, um, of course, we don't, don't follow that system. But... Uh, that that's you know so you know but but it's a lot of people have the a little bit of ambition and they want that more prestigious job you know and uh one of the things if you uh go very far in service of the lord is if when we start talking about the service gifts uh you'll find out is there's no glory in any of it <laughs> you know uh it's just uh, a lot of labor of love and it's a lot of laying down your life and and uh everything there's there's nobody it's it, one of the things you have to work with with younger christians is they're often bitter at various people in the body of christ because they think they're i'm giving this and i'm giving this and no one's giving back everybody perceives themselves as giving more than they receive everybody and everybody thinks they initiate in relationships more than other people initiate with them and you just need to go on and continue to initiate because that's actually often just your perspective on it. So um, te the teaching gift, uh, teachers particularly have the tendency to think their gift is foundational. And there's actually two or three of these that, that uh, it is very more tempting than others to, to consider the gift that you, that you have foundational. Teaching is one of them. We live in a time 
We're part of what grew out of the what's called the fundamentalist modernist controversy after the Civil War that birthed modern evangelicalism and a very different approach to how to interpret the Bible than it ever come come about. So that we now have in in Bible believing Christianity, we now have the most lip service ever in the history of the church given to be being Bible believing with the least amount of Bible following that we've ever that the church has ever seen. Um, there is a need for great teaching. There's a need for teaching, though, that's on more than like the five types of love or or uh, or, or or all these. Uh, how, you know what, what? What a lot of Christian teaching is is really focused in on kind of minor subjects. What there's a great need for is to go back and 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 look at the majors again. Look at major subjects like the kingdom of God. What is the church uh, covenant? What is God's eternal purposes? What threads can you trace from Genesis to Revelation? Is what God is is fully doing, and so it it is important that we get that we get good teaching from people who are thinking it through uh, on very foundational uh, paradigm levels. Um, teachers have a motivation to search out and clarify or validate truth. They tend to study and accumulate knowledge. Uh, they often feel like they don't have a enough understanding to teach on anything. So they're like, can you teach on this? Well, I, I need to study it like five more years. <laughs> and uh, um, my wife is quite like that. She loves to read big books. For every book I read, which I try to read a lot of books, but she reads like three for every one I read. And she likes to read even harder and fatter books. And last night, we were, several of us were watching the Buckeyes game, and she was up in the dining room diligently studying. So uh, teachers, uh, good, good teachers try to look, what I was actually just talking about, look beyond particulars to universals. Um, and teaching can learn, uh, can really lead to pride. Um, I, I don't like to get involved in per individuals and personalities, uh, but I do like to get involved in trends that are going on in the body of Christ. And this past couple of days, I faithfully, I've been told that I should do Facebook if I'm going to be a pastor of people under 30 years old. And uh, so I was uh, faithfully doing my Facebook, even though I don't care for it too much. And, uh, you know, Quite a few people were weighing in on a controversy that about a, a particular teacher uh, who is a strong cessationist who said the gifts of the Holy Spirit died with the apostles and and this kind of thing and he's you know upped up the accusations against people who think the Holy Spirit's still alive and active in the church and and uh, others have been drawn into the responses against him and. And all this kind of thing, but what, what's really happened with, uh, is this guy's dark side of his giftedness has destroyed him. He's actually a guy who's a uh, thorough ex exegete and studier of scripture and so forth, who has really uh, gone all the way to the where the Pharisees were, where he's actually opposing God and the purposes of God, and his giftedness seduced and deceived him. 
and because he's no one can no one can counter him or hold him in check because he listens to no one that's huge that's huge uh, if you know, if you have uh, the essence of self-deception, which is a major theme in the Bible, and it really interestingly picks up in the last several epistles. You know, in First John, James, Jude, all deal with self-deception. Uh, you know, like James says, "Be a doer of the word, not a hearer who deceives himself." Self-deception. The essence of self-deception is when you don't put yourself in a healthy context where people can confront, challenge, and call you higher. And, you know, what you need is the, 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 a healthy context where people are knowledgeable, wise, experienced, good fruit, and so forth. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, that one of the things we're hoping to bring to the whole idea of campus ministry is there are, you know, churches as a whole don't disciple. Uh, but campus ministries do. But often campus ministries, all the disciplers are in their 20s. Uh, none of them have, have gray hair or have gone bald yet. And, uh, you know, so it becomes uh, a situation that they, uh, I, one of the best books I ever read was uh, a, a book about why youth groups are failing. The, the whole idea of a youth group is, is failing so badly today and, and part of it is because almost all youth group pastors are in their early 20s and so what a person le le learns in a high school youth group is how to be a faithful high school student but they don't get the character and the in the worldview and the uh, direction vocationally and things they need to survive the transition to college working world marriage and the and real life because youth group leaders should probably be 40 or 50 something. So, um, uh, I, la lastly, uh, teachers tend to be criticized for too many details. All right, an exhorter or an encourager. Uh, of course, we mentioned that Barnabas was his name means son of encouragement, and uh, he was a great encourager. And you can read about him in Acts four thirty six and other places in the Book of Acts. But remember that that uh, in Acts thirteen, it says in, that there were prophets and teachers in Antioch. There were they were elders, and it lists five guys among whom are Paul, Barnabas, Lucius. Mananian, or I forget the names. So it doesn't not, doesn't matter for this context here. But it's then it says the Holy Spirit said while they were praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart Barnabas and Paul to the work I have called them." See, God will always deal with you as a young and baby Christian about what He's called you to do, so that you can begin to study, embrace character, embrace wisdom, be discipled, and be prepared. Paul was actually uh, probably around 15 years in Christ at this point, uh, based on everything we can piece together about his life. And uh, at this point, he had spent 13 years preparing and studying and a couple years in Antioch uh, as one of the elders. He wasn't the great apostle Paul yet, except God, from the very beginning, 
Jesus told him, I'll show you how much you will sacrifice and that you will be my apostle to the Gentiles. And he had from day one taken that seriously. See, the key to coming into your, your calling and your, and your giftedness and so forth is to be faithful in little things. Whoever, Luke 16, 10 through 12, whoever is faithful in little things will be faithful in much. The mo one of the most important things is to serve in someone else's ministry where you're, where you're not the lead dog, so to speak. Because if you're faithful in that which is another's, God will give you that which is your own. I, I thank God I'm, uh, I'll be 40 years in Christ next year, and I've spent approximately half of my years uh, at various times in my, in my Christian life, not as the head pastor, and in many cases, not even as a recognized leader in, in various churches that, that I grew in. And I often grew the most where I was actually kind of a leader and serving and doing things and doing wonderful things, helping with whatever types of sweeping the floors, taking out the trash. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that I've never been in a church where my first job wasn't taking out the trash, including this one. <laughs> so uh, you see someone taking out the trash, you, you know they have greatness coming. Um, seriously. Um, but... You know, the, the wonderful thing about that is as God begins to raise you up in that local body and you start leading people to Christ and people get filled with the Spirit and get demons coming out and, and people joining the church and so forth, you're really kind of doing it to, to, to build a ministry that you're not necessarily even one of the key point people. There's, there's awesomeness in that. There's, uh, because the, the curse of mankind is selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is, is our greatest, hardest thing to root out of us, and you can't be all about God's glory till you're not any about your glory. When you don't really care anymore, when anyone recognizes what, what you did or didn't do, and, and uh, you don't care about whether you get attaboys or no attaboys or no pats on the back, uh, then you're then you're starting to grow because you're you're doing it as unto the Lord, and that's true in the business world too, of course. When you do well, when you're misunderstood, and and so forth, uh, if you you go to any company, any just about anywhere. Uh, now there are wise companies that have management teams that are proactive to to kind of root this out and and make sure. This doesn't happen, but most companies, everyone's disgruntled. Especially like you go to a fast food restaurant, let's start, start there. Everybody is moaning and, you know, complaining and grumbling about how hard the work is and how little the pay is and how unfair the boss is and so forth. You can't enter that into that when you're a Christian. We need a better contract and all that there's no scripture that can could endorse your entering that so uh people who are exhorters uh basically tell you you can go for it and you can do it they tend to be positive people they tend to be very encouraging in their as parents they're they're more encouraging uh, you know 
Paul talks about to fathers about correcting their sons and so forth without exasperating them or without discouraging them and so forth. And the uh, encouragers tended to do that very well. Um, encouragers often, that one of the dark sides uh, at times for encouragers is that they're not necessarily good disciplinarians or uh, uh correctors or or looking for deeper root issues that might that might later be trouble and so um you know again there's always a balance and there's always a dark side on these things givers are people who are motivated to bring practical needs by providing finances uh they want to feel that they're part of the ongoing work um, again, this is one of the one of the gifts that can sometimes seem foundational, because as as you know, we've been uh, doing this inner city church for eleven years. We haven't even got to the point where we could afford one full time person, and uh, and even kind of a break level even point. That's one of the reasons the mega churches go to the suburbs. All all big churches, even even. Uh, uh, all, all big churches tend to, to go to the outskirts of the city or into the suburbs. You know, um, I'm very good friends with a pastor and and a, and a church in Dayton that uh, has a wonderful building that's in the city, and they uh, ha paid to have different. Uh, several different groups of Christians come in and analyze their church, which is uh, when you're a little bigger church and you have money, <laughs> that's a good thing to do. And uh, that's what we try to get uh, for free from belonging to the ARC and so forth to some degree. But, uh, you know, they had several critiques about their level of hospitality and different things. But one of the things they noticed is you're in the, you're in the city, but no one from the city goes to the church. Everyone that goes to the church is in, in the suburbs. And so they uh, sought, sought to and launched an, quite a few things to get involved in the inner city. And around five years later, they gave up on that and bought land in the suburbs and uh, to build a big building in the suburbs. An inner city ministry that you can really respect is one that's still uh, slightly growing and uh, doing positive things and has been there 30 years. We only have 20 more years to go. So, um, uh, givers aren't usually uh, given to quick decisions. You, you know, uh, if you if you happen to be the the uh, kid of a giver, and uh, you go, well, I need ten dollars for new tennis shoes. Of course, that would buy you shoelaces nowadays. But uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they'll they'll want to see a spreadsheet and uh, and uh, your five year plan and. Uh, how, how these tennis shoes are going to be integrated into the three pairs you already have and what use you're going to give out of them. Um, givers tend to discern uh, effective ministries. You know, one of the things you'll see a lot of times is you'll see people who, um, people who tend to struggle with poverty issues and people who are struggle with uh, educational issues and so forth. Uh, when you give, go to their house, 
they'll have all kinds of commemorative gifts for giving to uh, various big TV ministries that are mostly scandalous and ripping people off. But because uh, they're not exercising much wisdom in where they give. They're not doing any due diligence on the integrity level and, and uh, these kind of things of where they're given. Uh, most givers give quietly without fanfare. They like to uh, sneak it in without anyone noticing. And they don't really necessarily want to be publicly recognized. Uh, they tend to like high quality. Uh, now, most uh, givers tend to be gifted by God to make money. You know, some people are just gifted by God to be entrepreneurial, to be businessmen, to succeed in business. And um, most givers uh, have, a, have a, a gift to manage money well, make wise investments. They're, uh, maybe John has some of this motivation. There's a famous... Uh, story in our family where John was working uh, building computers for a little company called American Communications and he was like 16 or so years old and he'd saved a couple thousand dollars and he wanted to uh, put all two thousand dollars into the initial public offering of this new startup company and uh, so we had some discussions and I not understanding the world the way it has changed. Um, I'm trying to come to, old, old people are always trying to come to grips with these things. I was like, you're going to need this for college and you should diversify the invest. Don't put all your $2,000 in one stock. Well, the stock happened to be Google. <laughs> and uh, and so we always have a little laugh about how that would probably be worth several hundred thousand dollars now if he, if he had uh, not gotten talked out of it by his dad. So... <laughs> that's what I always say. John doesn't always necessarily say that. <laughs> All right. Uh, leaders and administrators. How am I doing for time? Great. Leaders and administrators uh, uh, tend to be motivated to organize for a purpose and accomplish and attain goals. Notice that if you go back to Romans 3 where we are reading, it says he who leads with diligence, but the ESV translates it zeal. Uh, one of the th things that administrators often have is they have, have a tendency to be very zealous about the work of the church or whatever they're the, the work of the company they're administrating or whatever, to the point where their zeal outdistances some of the other people's willingness at times. So uh, uh, administrators, uh, you know, they often talk about a blue-collar versus a white-collar mentality or uh, blue-collar versus maybe a management mentality. And when, you're, when you have an hourly mentality, you want to put in your time. When you have a, a mentality that you kind of belong and you own and you're, you, when you have an ownership invested in it, you want to work till the job is done, until the results are accomplished. And uh, that, that's a huge difference. Uh, administrators tend to, to do whatever it takes to get to the end goal. 
we have some administratively gifted people in our church like Leah and Carla. Um, what, one of the best things that an administrator can do uh, is know who to use and who not to use. We're going we're gonna to redo our little boy break the glass uh, analogy at the end and repeat that. But administrators, you know, you often, someone who's not as gifted in administration, there's a big need, so they'll say, oh, I'm going to get Joe to do this. And an administrator knows, I don't care how big the need is, Joe would be a disaster. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, let's not bring Joe into that situation. It, it you know, it'll be worse than, the, the solution will be worse than the disease. So leadership people are, are really wise at who can, who can do it and who can't do it and who to bring in and who not to bring in. Uh, they tend to impart vision. Good administrators that are maturing in their gifts delegate and give away a lot. They raise up people to, uh, to give it away. Uh, by the way, if you're, if, just so to, for teaching purpose, when, when you're delegating, don't give up total looking at something. In other words, stay involved, keep them accountable and so forth until they get to a level where that's not needed at all. Um, you know, the first year or two, John was leading worship. We would have talks every, about once every three or months or so. I didn't really get very involved. But every three months or so, we would talk about the theology of worship and and what, what we're trying to accomplish with the worship. And, and uh, John ended up developing a relationship with a young man who's really in, studies a lot of theology also and is about his age. And it was the worship leader at another church. And they started meeting together once a week just to, not to worship, but to actually discuss the theology of worship. And, uh, you know, so it just came to the point where, frankly, I, I love to worship with y'all, but I don't pay any attention to it because I don't need to, <laughs> you know. I, I, um, I hope that makes sense when you're, as you're training and train people, delegate them, but don't walk away totally till they're mature and they're being able, till they can do it as good or often better than you. That's one of the great gifts in leadership, or great goals of any kind of discipleship, mentoring, leadership. You want the people you're discipling or, or mentoring or leading to pass you. So that, you know, most, most leaders have uh, 27 different pieces of the pie that they're, that they're looking at. And when you delegate one or two pieces of the pie away, ideally what you want is to delegate it away in such a way that you can kind of still understand what they're doing, but they're doing it so much better than you could ever do because they're focused in on those two pieces of the pie. A uh, lot of leaders have charismatic personalities. People are drawn to their vision and their confidence. They tend to be wise financially. Uh, they tend to take charge. People kind of misunderstand them at times because a lot of times uh, in a crisis situation, an administrator will will uh, take charge. I uh, had a wonderful experience. Well, I don't know if it was wonderful. Uh, one when uh, Victor first started dating our daughter-in-law, Heather, 
uh, she was going to go to somewhere out west where her brother lives, Utah or Kansas or somewhere. And she, I was driving her to the airport on Route 35, and some crazy guy, all of a sudden, I saw him one, for one second in my rearview mirror just as he was going by me, and he's scraping the concrete barriers in the middle with the left side of his car as he goes by. And uh, he got about 100, 150 feet ahead, and he just totally lost control of his car and jutted 90 degrees this way. We had to hit the brakes, and so did four or five other cars. And then he uh, he basically flew over this embankment uh, just before 35 gets to 75. A lot of you probably know where it is. You can see, uh, whatever. Anyway, so he flips the car, and he's pinned in the car. And so I, of course, among many cars, quickly pulled over and went running to him. Uh, and at first... Um, I kind of took charge and I'm like, uh, because I have a little bit of gift administration and I'm like, we got to do this, got to do this. We can't, you know, we, we got to get him out of the car, even though we're risking neck and back injury because the thing might is still running and could, could blow up and get, got somebody to get, try to get the car turned off, but it was all smashed up. But then this nurse lady came and she was like total administrator and she like totally took charge she was like you get blankets you you know how you know who's called 911 and, and uh and i just and i just shut up and went wow this lady's amazing <laughs> and uh we got the guy to safety and i actually left because i mean she was so in charge that uh no one else was needed except for all the people who stayed to help her uh is that uh Leaders can be uh, also, um, they can also be misunderstood as being lazy or above helping because leaders tend to not tend to be like when all the work's going on, they tend to be thinking. <laughs> you know, everything's going on and they're thinking, where do we need to be a day from now? Um you know, a lot of times a good administrator or leader in a business, if the business is, of, you know, sufficient, once it gets past that 10 or so employee size or whatever, might spend a lot of time outside the office studying and reading books and planning, making plans and, and all kind of things. So, um, and everyone else is like, how come they don't work as hard as we do? Uh, well, because everybody's different gift is needed. Um, leaders are concerned with results, and uh, uh, one of the dark sides of leaders is sometimes projects are more important than people. I, uh, I get calls from the, uh, there's several administrative people in our church that are very, uh, um, very gifted in administration, and they'll call me, and they'll be all upset at so-and-so, and so and this and that, and, and their motivation is, this is causing the product project not to be done, but my motivation is what's going on pastorally with this person they're concerned about. <laughs> and uh, uh, that can happen. So that's, a, you know, one of the dark sides uh, of, admi of administration. Uh, last is the gift of mercy. And... Uh, it's the motivation to demonstrate compassion or comfort people in distress. Uh, mercy people tend to be empathetic. They're drawn to needy people. 
especially people with mental or emotional financial distress. Um, they'd rather console and comfort people than instruct them. At times, they lack firmness. Uh, the firmness can be from insecurity or weakness. Uh, sometimes it can be wisdom. Uh, it says in the Gospels that Jesus would not, would not extinguish a dimly burning wick. Sometimes, uh, you know, I've as a pastor, ever since we began starting to work with different troubled people and so forth, people will go, oh, gee, when are you going to talk to Susie about this or that issue? And uh, it's really bothering me, and I'll say, well, when Susie's ready to hear about that, it, right now it would be more than she could hear about. Um, and that would be a kind of a mercy thing. Uh, mo most most uh, mercy people can't stand prophetic people, and they tend to think of prophetic people as uh, too harsh uh, and, and judgmental. One of the antidotes to, uh, to if you're, you are a mercy-gifted person, you need to hear this deeply. More than any of the other seven, the mercy gift is dangerous. The dark side will destroy you. Um, now, you might be able to make that same case for the prophetic. But in terms of the mercy gift, um, there is an endless ocean of human need. It started with this little thing in Genesis 3 called the fall of man. And since then, uh, Murphy's Law was introduced, even though it's, you know things don't tend to go right. Um, the Bible says is if, if it's with difficulty that the righteous are saved, what will become of the godless and the sinner? Do you realize that someone who's really hungering and, and searching for righteousness will only be making little bits of progress here and there their whole Christian life compared to the glory of Christ and the perfection of Christ? We're, we're all pathetic, right? So uh, there, there will never, you know, Jesus, you know the, the disciples were mad at Jesus because a woman uh, anointed him with a very costly perfume and so forth. And he said, the poor you have with you always. Now, this church exists to be in the inner city and, and to minister to the poor. But a mercy person can tend to, if, there, if there's a lot of insecurities in a mercy person, it'll become codependency, and you'll sink your own boat in the rescue attempt. You know, I often talk to, uh, there's a f several guys in our church that I know have real giftedness pastorally and so forth, and I often say, I don't care if it takes you till you're in your 40s. Let's work on character and and all these other areas of life so that you really have the foundation for your giftedness to, to uh, be used of God and, and not hurt you. So I really always encourage when you're young, embrace knowledge, wisdom, and character. Uh, you will never have enough of that for whatever. And uh, you'll, when you get in the middle of the situation, you'll know you don't, don't have enough of it. Uh, so probably, probably more than any other gift, mercy can sink a person. Of course, prophetic without, uh, without any brokenness or humility or people around will, 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 uh, will, um, 
sync you as well, etc. Well, lastly, let's do the broken boy, or broken boy, <laughs> uh, only if the prophet gets hold of him first. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, of course, the little boy breaks the glass, and um, uh, the prophetic guy would would uh, chastise the little boy for his motivations. You're 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 being too childish. You're being too silly. Let's grow up here a little bit. And uh, the service got, and, and that may be appropriate if the little boy is, is 17 and he's behaving like he's seven. Um, or, but if he's uh, three and he's behaving like he's three, that wouldn't be appropriate. You know, when little kids act like little kids, keep in mind they're little kids. <laughs> and uh, that's why I love doing the uh, Sunday school, frankly. I'm so glad I get to do that. Uh, the service person will, of course, just clean it up. And uh, maybe uh, wash the whole kitchen down as they as they sweep up a little broken glass and water. They'll also clean the whole kitchen, pull the refrigerator out, and sweep behind it, and this, so forth. And uh, the teacher person will will give the guy his three CDs about the uh, seven most important principles for carrying glass. Uh, the exhorter will give him another glass and encourage you can do this. Let's just let's just be. You know, try two hands and go, go do this again. The giver will just say, "I never liked those glasses anyway. Let's go out and buy a case of better ones." And uh, the administrator will know which person to assign to which one. The, the administrator will talk, take the giver aside and say, "Hey, did you know someone broke the, the glass?" And and the giver will go, "Oh, okay, don't worry, I'm on it. Nothing else." <laughs> you know, the service guy, "Oh, I, I know where the broom and dustpan is. I'll be right on it." And uh, the administrator knows which person to tell what, and uh, hopefully that's helpful. That I want I want to kind of give us one final takeaway. The most important aspect, besides the thing I've emphasized about the dark side and trying to trying to encourage you to get enough humility to take advice, you can tell a wise person not only puts themselves in corporate context where there's there's people to confront them, but they're quick to listen. And they listen deeply, and they change when they're when uh, when things point out. But the other part of this that's really important is that as you as we go through this series, I want you to try to think about go home if you if anybody ever takes these notes home and ever ever prays over the messages during the week or anything. Think about areas where you that where you could grow in giving people the grace to be different. We will not accomplish what God has for us in future years if we don't have a lot of weird birds. I'm thankful for the weird birds we have, but we need about three times as many. You you need people of all sorts of motivations and all sorts of giftedness, and and you need people that you first go, wow, that's different, <laughs> you know. But you need to have the grace not to judge them too harshly, but to even try to understand them and release them to what they can do. Amen.